Welcome to Surviving Society, a political podcast from a sociological perspective. I'm Saskia. I'm Chantel. I'm Tiso. Each week we talk about things that have annoyed us in the media and in our daily lives. So, Tiso, what's annoyed you this week? What's annoyed me the most is probably the media coverage of Mugabe being ousted, or well, resigning. I'm not too sure what really. <laughs> yeah, but, um, it wasn't a coup. It wasn't a coup, apparently, yeah. <laughs> so, um, it just... What annoyed me was the kind of... European paternal attitude towards Africa. Europe, Africa is a place that always needs help or it's some kind of victim. So in my lifetime, the narrative I've seen of Africa is one of a, is of a continent that always needs help. Little black babies starving in Ethiopia, civil wars in Liberia, um, Congo. Like This place is a basket case. It needs our help. It needs our help. Now, the kind of coverage Mugabe got like in the press that this guy's been in for 40 years, he's a dictator, isn't it so bad? Then I thought, I said to my friend, well, aren't you looking at, don't you look at European history? And Europe's been no different. I said the last century was, Europe was, most of Europe wasn't even in a democracy. Most of it was fascist states leading to world wars. Yeah, how many European states would have been democracies for most of the 20th century? <laughs> like hardly any. Hardly any. God, it's, it's so that's new, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's yeah. brand new. So if you're looking from Germany to Italy to Spain Greece, to Austria to Greece. Like the whole of the Soviet bloc. Yeah, I said you're all dictatorships and so you you have no leg to stand on really. But yet you look at Africa in disdain like this guy's been in power for 40 years. Well, we they did African nations use... The kind of the theory of nationalism to fight for the independence, to fight from colonial to, from colonial dominance. So, I, I, it just really ups, it upsets me to see this this kind of narrative. And obviously, because of my research into the far right, the narrative that comes from the far right is that Africa contributes nothing. It always, it always needs our help. It, it's they're better off under European or white man um, colonization than they are than they are by themselves. And yeah, it just actually upsets me. How long have Zimbabwe? How long has been Zimbabwe been independent? Nineteen eighty. Like, so recently. Yeah. So in the, in the context of the uh, state nation state development, what forty years? Uh, even countries that are doing really well. So India, uh, independence since, since nineteen forty seven. So India is kind of marked out as being one of the kind of bastions of development, but it still has a huge rural population. Still has problems with rape and uh, witchcraft and all these things you associate like, with. Half of Indians is it like it's something like five hundred million people don't have access to a toilet. See, this, the, <laughs> but economically they're doing really well. They're doing really well. <laughs> but this is the kind of narrative that. So, in that kind of classical racist, um, well, not even racist, that classical nineteenth-century notion of nations. So India is seen as a <clears throat> like if you if you go to like um, John Stuart Mill, John Stuart Mill's on liberty, he talks about Indians of having the possibility or capability of civilization. But the Africans, they do not. Why? What? What is the difference? So it's all graded to the kind of notions of what people, what what the West see as civilization. So because okay. India has kind of historical, tangible historical uh, landmarks, so the Chinese have them, Europeans have them. Mm-hmm. But because there's none in Africa, according to according the to Europeans, Europe, <laughs> they, but they always conveniently forget about Egypt. So Egypt's hived off from yeah. the continent. So Egypt's taken away. So if you look at um, Africa, because there's no kind of 
historical, long-lasting monuments or pe- that nothing that people talk about in the historical record, which is incorrect, obviously, yeah. that somehow it's incapable of contributing to world civilization. And this is what the narrative that you keep on getting over and over again, but in various new ways. So when you look at Africa, what does it contribute? Wars, basically. Hmm. Destabilization. We need to help these guys. We need to give them some kind of foreign aid or we're always sending them stuff. It's like the live aid yeah. kind of syndrome, isn't it? Like, I don't know, you, ne- you never see like the idea of Africa as a positive <laughs> like thing with its own kind of culture. I mean, because the thing is with Zimbabwe, I guess, is Mugabe did make some like absolutely horrific decisions regarding their <laughs> healthcare system, their economy. Brexit doesn't seem like that great an idea, guys. I'm yeah. just saying, I'm not saying it's the exact same because, like, who knows what's going to happen. But it's like the idea that only, like, a horrific dictator or, like, you know, the kind of ethnic cleansing that went on mm-hmm. in Zimbabwe. It's like, yeah, because we've never done anything horrific. Well, we this, invented the concentration camp, but we're, well, <laughs> we're somehow squeaky clean. This is what I'm saying, Seska. I think if you look at it in terms of nations, how they develop, nations take a long time to end it. There's no one way that's right or perfect for a nation to get to where it needs to be. But what we do know from history is that all nations go through periods of dictatorship or oligarchy and have lots of bloodshed. So, for example, look at America's path to democracy. It starts off with a war. In pathway through, they have a massive civil war over slavery. And then the whole 20th century is like wars around the world. Do you know that 200,000 children died in the Iraq conflict in the Nazis? No, of course you don't. Because that was the British and the Americans of oh that. Oh my God. Like, you know, know and the way that's, you know, it's, there's, I was listening, I was reading something the other day, I think it was Judith Butler. Like, it's that idea of like, who's worth mourning? Yeah. Like, who is it worth grieving over? Who has a life that deserves a dignified death? Mm-hmm. Um, and the way those decisions get made, okay, I don't think there's someone sitting there being like, okay, these people are worth warning. But you can see in the kind of patterns of what gets reported in the media <laughs> that the way deaths get used and mobilised, you know, like, there are, there are political implications for those. And another thing we were just talking about is, um, like, when you look at things like the Congo... Like, the war there, I think something like 3 million people have died so far, like, not including the people. Like, a lot of it is spillover from the Rwandan conflict Mm -hmm. in the 90s. Um, And a lot of that conflict has been prolonged by capitalists, like, industrial powers needing minerals from the Congo. To destabilise it, yeah. To destabilise it. So, like, you know, all that kind of corruption, like, you know, they need access to the minerals, so if they prolong the war, there's not going to be a strong nation state being like, we're going to protect this and we're, we're actually we're, going to exploit our own resources. Thank you very t- much. We're going to tax them. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, whenever I think of Africa, like I, even how I talk about Africa now, I've had to kind of re-educate myself. Mm-hmm. So th- there's been a process of myself trying to think, stop talking about Africa as, like, as, a, as, a, as a country. Yeah. It's a continent with 54 countries. Mm. So when I start to talk about Africa and I try to be more precise, so if I'm talking about a particular area, I will say I'm talking about Congo or the Central African Republic or Liberia or Mauritania. I'll talk about the country individually like yeah. I do when I talk about European states. Mm. I talk about Germany, Italy, France. So it's about that re-education, trying to see Africa as it's, as an equal to, not something that's sub, a uh, sub-continent. Mm. A sub-pub people, yeah. like an African people, so, like the way it gets talked about. This is it. So, like, like there's some kind of homogenous group of savages. It, it, 
it, it pains me now. So it's trying to, like I said, a process of relocation for myself and how I talk about Africa, how I engage with that continent. And, and it's trying to say to people, like, there's no one path to, of development. Yeah, the, the dictators, what they do, it's just not a nice thing. But, but even the idea of development... It's such a yeah. It's a, such a it's such a loaded. Like, it, people assume that we have to follow the Western path, but there's no there's no right or wrong way. Like, to what it. is development? It's like basically the idea that there's a line of progress, mm-hmm. and you know, places like Britain, where we're, the we're, we're industrial there. revolution was born, we're like fast tracks on the road to progress, and yeah. so we're a developed country, mm-hmm. and then. African countries or wherever developing countries are on the in the same process but behind behind and they will never catch up you never catch up because we're the developed country we've done it already whereas you, they will always be developing and you always want it but you have to follow our style of development yeah and we're in control we're so. in control and this is where you want to arrive yeah. but like I said any, any, any process development people have been it's bloody it's it's horrible and things happen that not that are not nice but I don't like the way Europeans have that kind of notion that we're at the top still, yeah. and you need to follow follow our lead. And if you don't, we we we're kind of critical of you, but dismissing that our past that we've been bloody, we've not been perfect ourselves, and this kind of notion, like I said, it comes through, especially when you're looking at the kind of thing, the kind of media narrative of Mugabe. Oh, he's a bad guy. He's a bad. Yeah, he's done bad things. So did Winston Churchill. <laughs> yeah. In South Africa. How many, yeah. like three million Indian died, yeah. Indians died during the Second World War? Yeah. So you, when you see, before Winston Churchill in the Boer War, all the stuff they're doing in South Africa, he did bad things, man. So, but in the context of his time, it was acceptable, you know? Mm-hmm. So. I mean, even now, I would argue, like, it is still acceptable. Like, mm-hmm. those are the things that do not get remembered about Winston Churchill. Mm-hmm. The things about the Second World War, the First mm-hmm. World War, they get remembered. Mm-hmm. Those things are political. One of the problems is is that history is written by the victors. So it's a certain way of presenting historical facts. And one of the things I found in trying to understand the far right, in, in my understanding, is trying to understand all sides and trying to present a, the best or the most coherent picture of a historical moment. So at the moment, there's lots of revisionist theories that are flying around, be it talking about... Charles Martel, or being about the kind of Spanish influence. Oh, sorry, Who's Charles Martel. Sorry, I'm also revisionist. <laughs> um, Charles Martel is a Frankish king of the eighth century, and revisionist is. I can't believe we didn't know that. <laughs> and, um... What the fuck's a Frankish king? <laughs> you love history, please. <laughs> As in, in France. As, yeah. But it was in France at the time. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> He's, he's the grandfather of Charlemagne. That's 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 what. I was, to whom we're all related. Uh, this, this is one of the things. Um, but there's so when people revise history, it means taking what we know as current as textbook history and changing it. So trying to understand where everyone's coming from. So when we look at Africa, you don't be so kind of I don't know, like a snob. Basically, people look down at their history and look down at them because. Like they're incapable of developing, or incapable of being something else. It's, it's not the case. It upsets me greatly. <laughs> it does. Chantal, what are you knowing about this week? Um, I'm going to talk about the engagement between Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. Who's excited? <laughs> so this basically. Um, delves into issues that I'm writing about currently in my PhD 
um, concerning mixedness or I did mixed. think when this happened I was like it's almost like Prince Harry's done it just for you yes. I know honestly it's going to be so much it's going to be so much to write about but basically in my in my thesis I'm talking about mixedness in Britain that's presented on a binary though the binary is between it being something which is progressive or something which is problematic so I argue that the way we see mixedness in public discourses as either as something that's very progressive and that shows we've accomplished race and racism and that uh, the union of races means that the, there's the end of racism, basically. And then on the, on the problematic end of the a binary or the scale, um, mixedness is seen as something which is typical of the underclass. Um, it's white women having loads of babies with black men. Obviously. It's... It's like horrible, horrible like myths around what mixedness represents. It being a degradation of the state. So it's mixedness is something which is contaminating whiteness with blackness. Hmm. That is how mixedness in Britain, I believe, or I'm arguing, is positioned in the UK. There are no ordinaries. There's no normals. Mm. You're just either part of this melting pot that represents Britain overcoming its history of colonial colonialism and racism, or you are part of this group that are contaminating what it means to be British. So with connotations with class and also gender as well. So yeah, so Prince Harry engagement to Meghan what I want to talk about is how that's been positioned particularly in the media now Meghan Markle is mixed race Harry is white and what is he fifth in line or something fifth in line to the throne but hardly a pure-blooded Englishman like the royal family's got ancestry from I'm just saying they've got ancestry from all over the place I noticed that no one was saying that Prince Philip was like a prince of Greece when it was in the media I was like and the way it's being spoken about by some media outlets is as if it's something that we've accomplished because someone who isn't fully white is now going to become part of the royal family and it's positioned as something that's progressive and that we should feel really proud about this and there are so many problems with that particularly in relation to they're not there's the inability for us to see beyond that And actually, it doesn't leave any space for us to talk about issues of race, basically, because we've accomplished them. We don't need to... It's like a kind of... Not really a panacea, but it's kind of like being like... It's like like a plaster, isn't it? Yeah. It's like a very superficial plaster. So, like, listen, we've we've done it, guys. As a white plaster. We've done it. (laughs) We've done it. But it's it's like... it's almost like, I suppose, in a more, kind of more political sense, it's like Obama when he became president. Yeah. Listen, we've done it. Yeah, we've achieved it. In America, like, the place is fucked, right? Yeah. <laughs> the black, black geezer is he's president now. Boom. It's yeah. game over. It's not a problem. And as you can see, look what's happened since then. Yeah. When they've taken that plaster, everyone's like that. All the white people say, listen, that was a fucking mistake, bro. Yeah. <laughs> it was a mistake. We shouldn't let that black geezer in. Look at him. They're not kneeling to the flag. <laughs> Yeah. It's, it's a disaster. So that is that is exactly, I, I feel it's very similar to what's happening now with the, the coverage that we're getting of the new, well, she won't be actually be princess, will she? She'll be Who a cares? duchess. So yeah. Everyone yeah. will just be like, she's a princess. I mean, yeah, but like, it's, this, it's like a similar thing, I think, about the way people talk about like social mobility. Mm-hmm. Like, 
if we have a socially mobile society, that is seen as a good thing. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. a mixed race, like not mixed race society, that'd be terrible. But <laughs> mixed race couples are a good thing because it shows that like we can be accepting of race. And there's like no critique of the idea that like, actually maybe social mobility is is not like the fix to all our ills. Like mm-hmm. why is like if being working class is so stigmatized that you feel like you have to escape the working class? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. like exactly said about meritocracy that time. So yeah. if 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 a working class working class person makes it, that means yeah we we all can make it. But yes, it, it, it be like it it kind of masks the real problems. Yes, that ex- exist out there. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So like if like. A prince could choose a half black woman, you know, that's a sign that all of us have become better people. Mm. It's mm. like it's the royal family, guys. That is exactly, <laughs> Saskia, that is exactly what is wrong with yeah. the conversations that you're seeing. Yeah. And that's why I was going, I was screaming nearly <laughs> on Monday when it was announced because I was just so ready for this how it was going to be yeah. covered. I was like, it's so predictable. Yeah. It's so predictable. And before, when he was just dating her, looking at the, how the yeah, media's the changed yeah. as well, and fair play to him, Prince Harry Come wrote a statement that. and said there are racist undertones. So you're saying, no, they're not racist undertones. They are racist they are overtones. Racist overtones. <laughs> like, so, it, yeah, fair play to him for coming out about that. But it's interesting seeing how the media's changed. Now he's going to make an honest woman of her. Maybe we do need to be see this race thing as something that's acceptable see, that we've accomplished. What's interesting is like it sells well. Mm. It's a nice story, isn't it? Like yeah. how to we've overcome our basic instincts and we've moved past race. <laughs> it, 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 it would truly make me happy if that was the case. Yeah, because yeah. I, I gen, everyone genuinely genuinely wants to have a site that's not racist. Yeah. That's what everyone would like, mm. but we know that's not reality. Mm. And we know the history of the Is that family. what everyone would like, given that you're okay. studying not the everyone. far right? <laughs> in, People what, don't like to believe that they are racist. I think, I think that's far, true. From the far right point of view, they don't, they don't want to see a site of mixedness, right? They don't, that's a problem for them. They, would okay. like, they want everyone to do their own thing. Okay. To everyone to know their They don't want this kind of conflict. They, they, tr- they, want, they believe they're superior, and just want everyone to do their own thing. Yeah. Everyone's got a niche. Yeah. So black people are good at sport and lifting heavy shit. Right. You do that. White people are good at thinking and doing clever stuff. Chinese are good at thinking-ish. So you I was that. in a geography seminar the other day, right? And uh, the guy leading the seminar was a white guy, obviously. Mm. Um, and, you know, perfectly nice person. I hope he's not listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he is. Um... <laughs> And he was talking about how geography in the United States basically disappeared as a subject. Like, sociology is quite a big thing in the US, mm. geography not at all, because it got really associated with eugenics. Really? Yeah. Um, because it was all about, like, you know, black people come from Africa, therefore they're good at farming and being in the sun, whereas, you know, white people come from Europe, therefore, because it's colder in Europe, and, you know, like, all that bullshit. Good at thinking. Yeah, good at thinking, good at being capitalist, mm-hmm. good at exploiting other people, or whatever. Um, and he was like, you know, kind of beggar's belief that people used to think like that. <laughs> and I was like, can I just stop you there? People still think like that. Mm-hmm. Like, even people who don't consciously think that, mm-hmm. like, the very way Meghan Markle has been treated in the media, like, yeah. you know, there's this is so the, much wrong with This it. is the problem. <laughs> this is the problem that you get, and this is something else that comes up in my PhD. In a neoliberal society, we believe we are above race and what that means is we think we've overcome race and what that means is race becomes removed from the conversation but it comes out in other ways 
and it like it takes new form basically, mm. which is arguably more dangerous than it's, when we had. It's like the misrecognition. So yeah. Th- so the far right want effectively want to put race back on the table. They're saying that this post-racial world is a problem because we talk about it but in different ways and we want to put it back on the table. We want to say there are differences between people. They want to kind of say that the stuff that... How we used to speak before in the 80s where we used to call someone, you black this, you white that, we want to come back to that because rather than hide around the issue of race that the way the neoliberals do or the kind of social justice warriors, they hide from race mm. where we are, to use their term, race realists. They want to talk about race. Mm. Obviously, the most fucked up way, <laughs> but they like for all this stuff they talk about. There's some points that they say I have to agree with. That hmm. there's a kind of in like in the neo in the neo neoliberal sense, people don't they kind of skirt around the issue of race. So this Megan, what's her name? Megan Markle. Right, yeah, I don't really pay attention to all that kind of stuff. Princess Megan, yeah. as we'll call her from here on. Right. In. So we obviously we know there's an issue of race about it. We know the, the royal family are thinking, what the fuck has happened here, right? <laughs> Harry, are you sure about this? The Queen's like, are you, are like, you know we used to rule after. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you just go there, we'll, we'll buy you one. We'll buy you one. They're, they're selling yeah. slaves at the moment, man, yeah. you know? Oh. But you, this is the thing. We know that it, it is an issue of race, but no one talks about it. Mm. But the far right are saying, we want to have a, not on, they don't want to have an honest debate, but they, we want to speak about it. And this is where I think... You can get quite sociological here, particularly with regards to methods and studying race. You're in you're in a bit of a predicament because you want to talk about the importance of inequalities and race and racism, but you always you don't want to give it you don't want to give race legs because race doesn't exist. It's a social construct. Yeah. So like but, it's kind of academic conventional to always put race in versus commas in recognition of the fact that it's, it's not, not real. It's not a real objective thing in society, society. Yeah. yeah like a real thing might be that we all have bodies yeah <laughs> or two plus, like, like a hard fact like a scientific fact I guess yeah like we all have a body but then <laughs> but a race is something that is created through social relations it doesn't exist by itself outside of society it, but we do we sort of need to talk about it as if it is yeah, as if it is is your body because that's how because it's true in so the yeah, social it's, sense. It's totally, in, it's it's like written into the way you act, how other people behave towards you. Mm-hmm. Because it's a social and historical fact. Yeah, mm-hmm. and people there have been consequences yeah. and policies linked to race. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I I found the other day I didn't realize that Hitler was so impressed at the Americans the Jim Crow laws. That's why he, he used some of them in his Nuremberg laws. He was so impressed how the Americans legally oppressed black people that he was, he was like, listen, you guys are really good at this. I'm going to bring some of this into the Nuremberg laws. Do you think that's an American history book about the Nazis? <laughs> wow. It's, 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 it, like I said, he had admiration for the Americans and their subjugation of black people. That's so interesting, isn't it? Because I bet the only thing that's in American textbooks about that is that Hitler wouldn't shake Jesse Owens' hands. Like, hand when mm-hmm. he won in the Olympics. Mm-hmm. Like, I bet you they don't talk about, mm-hmm. like... And Hitler also was very impressed by our oppression of black... You know, like... <laughs> our legal system. It's laughable, but it isn't, because, you know, that is such a classic way of distancing yourself from racism by being like, I'm not as bad as those people. You see, all this, like, I always think to myself, and I see this whole thing with the, wed- with the wedding. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. obviously, how the media portraying, like... 
they talk about her black side, don't they? So they, they talk about her f- upbringing, mm-hmm. how difficult it was. But she's middle class, isn't she? I mean, yeah. 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 So like, they, they, but they want they want to kind of urbanize her. And, oh, there. Yeah. No, that's what I was thinking about. If Prince Harry were a woman and Meghan Markle were a man. How do you over. think that would play out? It was a, this is the other this is the other side to it. I don't think it would be happening. Yeah, and also, happen. if she was darker, I don't think yeah. he would be getting married to her. I know that sounds really controversial. But also, would be also like, she's American. You... Imagine yeah. if she were yeah, like a Nigerian. If she's she from like, yeah. yeah, from Nigeria or from the Congo, no danger. Yeah. If she's dark as me, no way. Yeah. yeah. And she had natural hair, no way. <laughs> yeah, that's like that is unimaginable, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. If she, if, she, if she truly embodied. A hundred percent black, and this is the whole thing about mixedness. Yeah. So, if if you're a pure form mm. of whatever race it is, that's that's not happening mm. because she's mixed. It's it's acceptable because she's, she's got a bit of white in her. Yeah. And she's got white it features, is. and that's what is also at play here. Everyone's like, oh, the first black princess and whatever. It's like, no, she's got light light skin. She's mixed race. There are a lot of privileges yeah. that we know associated with people that are of mixed race. However, it's a lot more nuanced than yeah. that. It's there's a lot more to it. There's a lot more to it than it just being the fact that she's light skinned, mixed race. It means she's privileged. Like it's not. It's not as simple as that. And I was thinking, and that's what is always missing from these conversations. On top of that, she's not just marrying normal. She's marrying to the aristocracy, right? So these are old school, old school attitudes. Aristocracy, the monarchy. The monarchy. She's marrying yeah. the monarchy. monarchy. Yeah. So, <laughs> I just want to say it's really difficult as well for me because even though I do think this is all very problematic, as a young mixed race girl growing up in a white town. I've said about this a lot of times, didn't have any role models really. The role models that I had were Mel B and like Jamelia. Like, <laughs> so, oh, Jamelia's actually a, 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 a great, she's a great, she's a, that was she's a great a, song. She's what a, was her song? Uh, superstar. She's um, actually quite tidy, aren't yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I had pop stars were my role models. If I'd been growing up and someone that was as respected as we have this weird obsession with the royal family, if I was growing up and someone that looked like me, was part of that maybe that would have helped me a little bit so maybe we should take some positives with there being someone that isn't white yeah in the royal family so i do just want to yeah end on that it's black in a union check and on that note <laughs> oh, that was a great <laughs> <laughs> so what i want to talk about this week is um related to what i've been reading about for my phd but also um, Chantal and I went to a talk on the British citizenship test, uh, which was introduced in the noughties under New Labour. I mean, it's just it's just so it's such an interesting idea, really, like to give someone a test to see how British they are. Like, what on earth would you put on that test? And basically, it just totally depends on who's in the government, like what the political mood's like. So when it was first introduced, obviously it's in English, it's multiple choice. I think that's always been the case. And initially, this academic was saying it was like really practical things, like uh, how do you pay your bills? How like how do you go to a shop and ask for something? Um, like how do you get your kid into school? Like basically using services, talking to people, that kind of stuff. Now it's like. Um, in what year did uh, Richard III lose the Battle of Bosworth? 
I'm not gonna listen. I was gonna say, uh, my dad was like, oh, that's so it's obvious. It's so easy. <laughs> I was literally gonna say, when they were showing the questions, I was literally thinking, Tisa would know all of these. Yeah, because it's all about Tudor history. Like, there's yeah. a huge mm-hmm. section on Tudor history. Apparently, the British Empire was like two pages, because <laughs> obviously, that didn't really affect. That like, didn't really happen. Happening. No, yeah. that wasn't a big deal. <laughs> I think it's, it's interesting when you talk about citizenship and Britishness. So how do you establish Britishness? How do you establish Britishness? Because British, the British identity is like, uh, we've, we spoke about it before, it's an imagined community. So yeah. Benedict Anderson, so this, yeah. this nation was created, Brit, the British identity, uh, the United Kingdom was created in 1707. Right, so this is a new entity that exists. So it hasn't existed in time immemorial. So when you have a, a a nation like that, you start making up myths. So you make up myths to kind of bring people together. So if you're making shit up on the fly, it could be anything you want. And that's now <laughs> what we've got in this this test. Yeah. So basically, <laughs> this test is like you know, and it's like that is basically the history curriculum as well. Like anyone who's done history in a British school knows probably more about Henry VIII than they do about the current monarchy. You know what I mean? Like. <laughs> Why we? Why do we have a monarchy? That's not important. What is important is divorced, beheaded, died. <laughs> divorced, beheaded, survived. I love that. I love that. Um, I've got a tattoo of that. <laughs> I really hope you're telling the truth. Um, so, yeah. So, coming on from this point, I was thinking a lot about, um, like, the kind of idea of what is Britishness, what is the nation. A lot of my reason this week. I've been reading uh, Paul Gilroy's There Ain't No Back of the Union Jack and um, After Bra, who wrote a book called Cartographies of Diaspora. And I think it's really important to recognise that debates about immigration are not something new and actually they're integral to how we understand ourselves as a nation. Britishness, as you say, is not some kind of like enduring, like, you know, from the beginning of time, understanding it's—it's it's like, firstly, it's an amalgamation of four nations. Also, all four of them created. You know, like they're not—they're not ancient. Mm-hmm. England, Ireland, Scotland, where like all those things are contested. Mm-hmm. They are like even now, like if you look at Ireland, like who's Irish, who's British, it's a complicated thing. And Britishness sort of tries to bring all those four together, but. Um, the the thing like the people try and define Britishness against is what is not British, and immigrants are often. I find it difficult to even use the word immigrant now because I think it's such a loaded term. But people who are defined as immigrants are the people who are not British, so we can define ourselves as British against them. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's the same with you know within the four nations and. Like, you know, there's a lot of stuff about kind of like Scottish national pride because they're defining themselves against Englishness. Whereas Englishness, I think, is much more nebulous and we don't know the idea of kind of English pride is seen as a sort of racist thing or quite an underground thing. I can see Tisa getting very excited here. <laughs> it's funny. So I lived in Scotland for t- almost 10 years. So, Did you? Yeah. 10 years? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. You're kidding? Yeah, seriously. Edinburgh. So when I first went up there and... The first thing I noticed is the, the the pride they have. So lots of national monuments, which ironically the Scottish people don't even know about. So I said, "Oh, you've got amazing! You've got a, you've got a statue of Adam Smith." Who? I was like, "Are you joking?" Like, have you rubbed David Hume's foot? I have. 
<laughs> on the Royal Mile people. Oh, I was like, it's David Hume. It was very racist, but I was like, it's David Hume, it's Adam yeah. Smith. He's on our money. I'm like, it's on Scottish money, yeah, sorry. Yeah. But it's the, the pride they have of being Scottish. So much so, my friend, who I spoke about before, he has a tattoo of uh, William Wallace on his arm. But it's not, it's, that? But it's not William Wallace, it's Mel, it's Mel Gibson playing Braveheart because no one knows what William Wallace looked like. Who's William Wallace? Um, the, the, was he a Jacobite? No, no, so you know Braveheart, the movie Braveheart? Yeah. So the guy who did the kind of, the, the kind of revolution against the, well not revolution, the battles against English for Indo- Scottish independence. Yeah. Which ones though? When? Um, when? This is in the 13th century. Oh, okay. So, oh, is that what it said? Yeah. I thought it was like the Jacobite no, no, Rebellion. No, no, no. So he's got a picture of William Wallace, but no one knows what William Wallace is. Yeah, it's, so it's Mel Gibson. It's Mel Gibson on his arm. That's how proud he is of being Scottish. He's so proud. He's got Mel Gibson playing a guy who they don't know what he looked like. But it's that pride. But English people, if you say, are you proud of being English? They want, no one knows. They get scared. But the point is, the reason is because English is like the dominant. It's mm-hmm. dominant within Britishness. It's dominant on like a global level. If you if you live abroad, people don't say where are you from. You don't say I'm British because people are like, what's that? Yeah. You say I'm English. English. When I lived in France, I was English. English. Very strange. And at the same time, my parents were filling in the 2011 census, and they had apparently had a massive argument as whether to put me down as British or English. And they called me up, and I was like, obviously British. <laughs> my mum was like, why wouldn't you say English? You're English. I'm not but English. But now I, I don't would... find that kind of problematic. To even I find it difficult to even say British because I think the point is like. When you look at something like Brexit, I think a lot of the way, like, I was really shocked when it happened. Lots of people were really shocked when it happened. Because you think, like, oh, the whole immigration thing is just something that's, like, stirred up to get people's blood going or to, like, get votes or whatever. But the fact is, like, that is something really ingrained in our culture as, like, uh, a way of defining ourselves as reacting against people who are seen as incomers. Mm-hmm. So more recently, yeah, okay, that's been Eastern Europeans, whoever that they might be, um, which Eastern Europeans obviously find super annoying because that's like a lot of countries. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like that. It's like it's like Africa. Yeah. It's like Eastern Europe, whatever. Not important. Um, yeah. So like recently, it's been Eastern Europeans, but before that, it was South Asians. It was Black people, and before that, it was Jews, and before that, it was Irish people. Huguenots, you know, like, like each wave, and then particularly in the twentieth century, like the reason we have immigration, the first immigration laws were created to keep Jewish people out mm-hmm. at the beginning of the twentieth century, and then if you like look at waves of migration, so you know you had like after. Um, like after the Second World War and you have like lots of people coming from colonial countries or ex-colonial countries that's when like on the one hand you've got the government being like we need more race relations policies at the same time as being like we need to keep the black people out there are far too many of them like all those things have been happening over time and from that point of view like the whole Brexit conversation if you listen to the news or watch the news or whatever it's all about trade and it's all about who we're going to trade with blah 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 but Really, what's underlying all of this is a sense that immigration threatens Britishness. And that is why we cannot stay. I know that sounds like kind of obvious, because this is what politicians have been saying, but I think it is worth repeating. The reason we're not staying in the customs union on the single market, which it makes absolute economic sense to from like a purely monetary point of view, is because you can't keep the immigrants out. You are not allowed to keep the immigrants out. So... The government's like, this is a politically untenable position because ultimately that's what they need to do. Mm-hmm. 
I, I think it's like to kind of like Brexit is trying to assert what is British identity and trying yeah. to assert what this is. And this has been a, a constant struggle to us. So there's a book by Jeremy Paxman mm-hmm. on Britishness. Oh God, I better shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a massive book. I, mean, I think I got this when I was doing my A-level or something stupid like that. That's when I was, I think I was going for my pro-monarchy phase. I was like, because <laughs> I like history. I was like, I love them. Yeah, I love okay. them. What I took away from that is that we, with Britishness or Englishness, we associate all the things that are world-changing. So the Industrial Revolution, mm-hmm. great stuff. The Enlightenment, amazing. Splitting from Rome, Henry Split, VIII. Yeah, all, all <laughs> this kind of stuff that marks us out as being a great island nation. And yeah. as I've kind of got into it and a bit more nuanced, people talk about World War Two and the Dunkirk spirit and all this kind of stuff. And like I said, it's the most superficial and two-dimensional reading of history. If you're going to read something like that, you need to, if you can look at history, look at it from all points of view and try to understand what is British and what it really means. So it means concentration camps in South Africa. Yeah. It means a shocking, repressive uh, record in countries like Nigeria against the Mau Mau. What else does it mean? It means shocking uh, oppression of the American colonists when they were trying to seek independence. It means the entrenchment of, like, racist and class hierarchies. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like, all those things. It, it's like um, <laughs> one, of the, one of the big things during the American Revolution War, they promised lots of black people freedom if you fought for the uh, British but so many came the British were like well listen not, we didn't really mean it we don't mean all of we you we don't really mean it <laughs> what we're going to happen is in fact so we're going to accept some of you send some of you back <laughs> so that's what they did so they gave some of them freedom and because there were so many they were like listen you, you can't really come over here and a lot of slaves heard that slavery was um, not possible in England just before the Somerset case Queen, Queen Elizabeth said that what's the Somerset case so Somerset case was a ruling by is it, Mansfield? Yeah, Lord Mansfield. Lord Mansfield. In the 18th century? 18th century. 1772, I think it was, that you can't be a slave in in the English law anyway. It's not enshrined in English law. Yeah. And this was a kind of building on Queen Elizabeth's um, proclamation that slave, slavery doesn't exist in the, in the realm of England. Okay. So lots of slaves were like, listen, let's yeah. go. Because mm. they said come. And the British were like, no, listen, there's too many. <laughs> there's way too many. Stay there and be slaves. Or what they would do, they will bring them back and sell them back into slavery in the West Indies. Um, <laughs> well, there were enough ships going over, so, so it wouldn't be that hard so to do. So this is what Britishness means. I think it's what, is it Paul Gilroy talk about embracing all sides of the kind of colonial debate? Yeah. Not just talking about the kind of... This kind the of, glorious Yeah, past. the superficial reading. If you're going to talk about British identity, let's talk about it all. There's something really interesting about, um, with regards to immigration in particular... Um, about Britain never having laws which allow the persecution of people. There's something really interesting about the fact that Britain has never actually had laws for slavery. Mm-hmm. As in, slavery has never been enshrined in British law. Yeah, slavery... It just never... wasn't made illegal? It wasn't... So, constitutionally, it wasn't, it wasn't something that's on the statute books. So, in England, you couldn't argue... You couldn't have a slave. You couldn't justify it by law. However, that's why it's ambiguous in the colonies. That's why it could be allowed. Because it's not technically yeah. England. So, it, it's right for me, that reflects the true British condition because one of the big things you learn in A-level politics is Britain has an unwritten constitution. We don't write fits and down. We have, we just, it's kind of evolved over time. Our fairness yeah. has happened. So, most modern states have a written constitution, the Bill of Rights, but 
our uniqueness is that we have an unwritten constitution. We have, but when it comes to things like slavery, it's unwritten, it's uncodified. Yeah. That's what I mean. Like the fact there's something in, I think there's something interesting about the fact that we've never. It's always underlying. Isn't yeah. It? It's always because sort then of you don't have to talk. So you don't have to it. talk about you it. You never have to say like. And then we got rid of slavery. Like, you know, like, it's, it's like then we enshrined slavery in law, which was terrible, so we had to get rid of it. We just ignore it. We can ignore so many things but because you, said, yeah. you can be like, our oh, fairness and justice. And in the, in the British Empire as well, um, there was a growth, obviously, in mixed race unions. <gasps> and that there were then there became laws against that in the Brit- within the British colonies, in America, yeah. um, in India, I think as well. But they well. never existed in the They UK never existed itself. in the UK yeah. itself. And there's something really interesting about that. I think it's like that. displacing racism. I think it's also, it's really, if you look at kind of speeches and stuff from the 60s or whatever, all the politicians are like, we abhor racism. Like, we don't like, oh, racialists mm. or whatever they say. Yeah. You know, we abhor racialists and this, that and the other. And it's like, you can say that because you don't have a specific law that you would see as racist. Like, having an immigration law where you say you have to have a parent or grandparent who was born in the country, you know, that doesn't have to be racist. Mm. It just happens that all these black people from the former colonies, even though they've got British passports don't have parents or grandparents who were born literally in the UK because they were in a colony. So it's like displacing it. It's like saying, Mm. oh, well, that just happens to be the law. Mm. As Mm. though the law, again, is like some kind of God-given, you know, divine right of parliament, just being like, oh, but this is just the way things are. When we all know that laws change and evolve all the time. Mm. I I was thinking the other day of, like, um, the the English treatment of Jews, right? So... I live in the city, the city of London. So there's a section in London called Old Jewry. It's called Old Jewry because that's where they put the Jews, literally. Like a ghetto. They put the Jews there because yeah. when they came over, they, they didn't want the Jews mixing with... When was this? So this is uh, 11th century. So this William Conquer brings them over because Jews can lend money at that time yeah. and charge interest. Christians can't. So these the Jews get kicked out under Richard I expel the Jews. They get kicked out of the country and they're not let back into England until the 17th century. The English, after the English Civil War? After so Oliver Cromwell lets them back yeah. in. Did right. terrible things in Ireland, <laughs> but <laughs> Jews are fine. <laughs> we need the money, obviously. Yeah. So um, uh, this is the kind of interesting treatment of Jews and where the Jews end up settling in London is just outside uh, Brick Lane. And so the Jews and the Huguenots exist in this kind of getaways area, but this kind of treatment of Jews like keep them separate. Mm-hmm. Keep them away from mm-hmm. the English because of the kind of it's like the fear of contamination, mm-hmm. isn't it? So, like I said, so black it, people are fine in the colonies. But it goes back to that thing you yeah. were saying about mixing it from a kind of progressive point mm-hmm. of view and a kind of negative thing. Most of the time, most of most of our history, mixing is seen as a negative thing mm-hmm. and kind of enshrined in like Western documents, like the the inequality of human races by a guy called Gobineau, French guy, or as a fascist guy in the nineteen forties who wrote Julius Evolver who writes about mixing as a bad thing, as a the kind of destruction of civilizations. Yeah. So if you mix, it's a problem. And that if you get lots of immigration, it means you're going to get more yeah, mixing. Yeah, lots of mixing. But this is, yeah, so I guess this is the point that I want to make, is that it's important to have a historical and cultural awareness of where ideas about immigration come from, because it's easy to say, like, oh, but Eastern Europeans aren't a race, they're white like us, I just don't want them taking my job. Like, it is almost too easy to say that. I think we need to have a broader understanding 
of why we have immigration laws at all, why we're so defensive about this idea of Britishness and what Britishness is defined in opposition to. Because otherwise, we get these conversations about trade, which everyone knows has nothing to do with trade. And this is why Brexit is taking us down the shizzle. Keep, keep them out. Keep them out. I've, I've, I've gone to my doctors. I can't get an appointment. There's too many, there's, there's too many immigrants. There's just way too many. Keep them out. You've been listening to Surviving Society with Saskia, Chantal and Tiso. We'll be back every two weeks, so don't forget to subscribe.